you're considered the scientific expert, you have an opportunity to provide your knowledge and your wisdom, to provide sound science, to influence the right track that a policy should go down. Welcome back to That Vet Life. Did you know that as a veterinarian, you can work in government and be a change maker for policy? Well, if you've ever had any questions on the subject, today's guest, Dr. Marie Bucko, is the person to talk to. In today's episode, Marie shares what inspired her to follow her passion and how she pursued her goal to become a veterinarian involved in government and policy. We talk about the challenges she faced along the way and how she continues to inspire and challenge other veterinary students and veterinarians to become more involved in this rather unknown side of veterinary medicine. I learned so much from talking to Marie about her role as a veterinarian, and I'm excited to share this episode with you. So let's jump into it. It is really fun. And like you said, it really is a small world. Like we live like, what, 45 minutes away from each other, we just realized. <laughs> so here we are talking on a computer when we could have met up, but in the future. But I have loved hearing so far, like what you were describing about the policy space. And that is an area of veterinary medicine that honestly, I know diddly squat about. Do people still say diddly squat? Have I just aged myself? Okay. Okay. That makes (laughs) me feel better. (laughs) Maybe it's just the millennial thing. Maybe. Maybe the last one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like the next generation would be like diddly squat. Why would you ever say that? But. Okay. I seriously want to hear a lot more about the work in the policy space. So we're going to circle back around to all of that. So tell me a little bit about like, where are you right now as a veterinarian? So right now I'm located in Washington, DC. I work as the chief of staff for USDA. So the Department of Agriculture, our chief veterinary officer. So my role is super unique in the sense as a veterinarian, I'm a veterinarian working for another veterinarian, but in the policy world. And so it's a really exciting opportunity. Honestly, as we were chit-chatting about before, if I could describe a dream job for myself and the skill set that I have and that I would like to develop more in the policy realm is this role as a chief of staff. And it's, you know, such a huge blessing to be able to be in this role so soon out of vet school. But I knew going into policy and working in the government in some way, shape, or form was going to be the route that I wanted to go post-vet school anyways. It's so inspiring to be able to work and witness veterinarians and scientists working in policy, whether it's at the state government or the federal government level. Here in D.C., it's, you know, being able to provide sound science is so, so critical to moving policy forward or even drafting it. And if we don't, you know, we get into some serious problems when we move away from the facts and the science that's on the table. And and I think we can see it a lot, even just with this pandemic unfolding. But veterinarians are the key cornerstones working in policy, and they are so inspiring. And it's such a pleasure and a joy to be able to work side by side with these great humans because I think it's an, an opportunity for our profession to dive deeper into as science just becomes more and more on the forefront of our news and science just keeps evolving. We know all too well how that works and 
when we see a virus such as, you know, the COVID pandemic that's happening, there's a lot that veterinarians knew at the forefront of how, you know, vaccinations work, how viruses work. And um, we're just kind of like, yeah, world, welcome to what we do every day. And now let, let us help you kind of walk through this. And we all learn from each other as scientists. And it's just so cool to be able to do that and get paid for it and make a living out of it. And it's such a pleasure and it's a huge blessing. That is so, so cool. And I love how you, like, honestly, you're such a well-spoken human being. So everything that you're saying, I was like, yes, yes, this is awesome. And one of the bigger things is how, like you said, with this pandemic, it has almost peeled back that layer into this this lens that people now can see what veterinarians do. Like we're not just like what I do. I'm, I see dogs and cats every single day and that's what everyone thinks of as a veterinarian. But like you said, we're kind of a cornerstone of science and medicine. And yeah. a lot of it is done away from the public eye. Like they just don't know that it exists. And I feel that's almost very similar to veterinary students. They just don't know how much veterinarians actually do. So let's go back in time a little bit for you, because right now you're working in policy, you're working in government as a veterinarian, which is so freaking cool. I hope people understand how freaking awesome that is. So let's go back in time to vet school then. So when you first started in vet school, did you think that this was the path that you were going to take? It's a unique question. I think right out of the gate, I had the opportunity after undergrad to go to Washington, D.C. as an intern for the Food Safety Inspection Service at USDA. And it was there that I had a chance to work with a lot of veterinarians doing food safety recalls, which just blew my mind to begin with. I said, wait a minute, like, what are you doing here? How do you fit into this puzzle? And I was so inspired and through that time at FSIS, I had the opportunity to transition over to FDA. And during that time, it was the Food Safety Modernization Act that was being drafted during the Obama administration. And I had the chance to jump on board as a science fellow to work along with other veterinarians at FDA in the, the Office of Food Safety and Veterinary Medicine. And one huge lesson that I learned in DC that I would share with anyone that I think is applicable anywhere is to say yes with the balance of boundaries, right? But when you're in DC or you're in an opportunity, in a position of an opportunity where you could grow and expand your horizons in a way that you weren't presented in a traditional manner, jump on it, take the bull by the horns and run with it because you have no idea where it's going to lead you, even if it's not part of your plan. And I think that's the beauty of, of our profession is that a lot of people don't have a straight and narrow way that they got to where they were or where they are. And you often talk to veterinarians and they say, oh yeah, well, when I got to this part, I didn't plan on getting here the way I did or even at all. So I jumped on it on the opportunity to work at FDA. I was working side by side with veterinarians, Ebola hit. Then we dispatched a whole team of veterinarians to respond to Ebola. And that kind of shut our world down for a short period of time, right? Until we hit COVID, like Ebola. <laughs> yeah, Ebola compared to COVID right now, we're like, yeah. <laughs> But it was fascinating to learn and to see. I was so proud to be someone that was looking to go into vet school, seeing this team of veterinarians respond on the front lines of this Ebola crisis that we had. And they were the folks that were responding to it because it's a zoonotic disease, right? 
And at that time, you know, to be a hundred percent transparent, I didn't get into vet school right away. The first time I applied, I lost my dad in undergrad and my grades just took the back burner. I couldn't process it mentally. I didn't know what mental wellness looked like. I didn't know how to take a break. You know, I was the, a pre-vet student that was just trying to grind it out as much as possible. I didn't want to do anything that would be, you know, like a tarnish on my application to get into vet school. And so I just, instead of taking a break and taking a step back, which is what I needed to do, I still tried to grind it out. And it, it came at a cost, right? My grades suffered. My mental wellness suffered tremendously. You know, grieving a loss of a parent is an experience I hope no one has to go through, especially at that age. And so what I thought were doors constantly being shut to vet school ended up being doors that were opening. And I just didn't know it at the time. I was going through this internship, had a job at the FDA for something that was supposed to be just a three month stint in Washington, DC turned into several years. And finally, when I'm in FDA, I had a great team of senior officials that was my boss and my supervisor. And they said, do you still want to go to vet school? And I said, yeah, of course I do. It's always been a dream and a passion. And I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. So I said, okay, like if I could create this ideal world where I could you know, still be a food animal vet and work in policy, but you and I both know there's not a lot of cows in DC, not a lot of horses in the city. <laughs> so <laughs> something was going to have to give. And I'm so grateful I got pushed by my supervisor at FDA and, and the team of veterinarians there because I finally got in. I went back to Wisconsin and I soaked up everything I could during vet school. And I had to challenge myself, you know, do I actually want to go back and practice? And there were times where I would say, yes, absolutely. Hands down, no question about it. But then I still felt this huge tug in my heart to go back to DC. Like I had unfinished business there. And once you get a taste of what it's like to be able to make an impact and change, and you see the fruits of your labor be created into policy, and you know darn well who that's impacting back home or boots on the ground, it is incredibly inspiring and somewhat, I don't want to say addicting, but it motivates you to stay there to say you can actually create change. And although it doesn't always seem like it with the government and what the news portrays, but you know you're fighting the good fight, especially as a veterinarian working in policy. So I wouldn't change it for the world. I love hearing your story and just the the little bits and how, again, just as you said, that it, nothing is truly linear. You never really know what kind of doors are going to open, what kind of doors are going to close in your face for the right reasons. And granted, you, you suffered like a tragedy, honestly, in your path to vet school. But once you were there, you, you had a clear idea of where you wanted to go. You didn't know, know exactly how you were going to get there. But here you are on the other side after graduation, working in that dream that you set out for yourself. And I want to, we'll slow down the timeline a little bit and focus on that last year in vet school, which was nothing like anybody could have ever imagined. Granted, people are always telling you your last year in vet school will be so different. It'll be like nothing you ever imagined. Ha, none of them ever anticipated a COVID pandemic at the same time. No. So for you, you had already, I'm trying to think, your school starts your clinical rotations in your third year or in your second year? 
At the end of third year. End of third year. Okay. So the pandemic had already been going on and you had an idea that it probably wasn't going to be over by the time you graduated. And this is nothing to speak on like the individual schools because everybody had slightly different setups. But what was your mindset going into rotations, knowing that it was under the pressure cooker of a pandemic? You know, I don't know if anyone really knew what was going to happen. I remember when I moved. So the spring of my third year moving in, so spring of 2020, moving into fourth year was one of the most bittersweet, cute, naive mentalities that I think I ever have witnessed in anyone. And it was in myself because in that March timeframe, I took over, you know, had the, the privilege and honor to serve SAVMA and started my term as SAVMA president as I was leaving third year, going into fourth year. And when our team got elected and installed, we were all super sweet and cautiously optimistic, like, oh, well, we can't meet up at, you know, in March or April, but why don't we just meet up in the summertime? You know, we can all get together finally. And it was this sweet moment where we all thought, you know, this isn't going to last that long, honestly. And here we are, three, right? <laughs> sweet Marie, like, you know, thanks for being optimistic, but we didn't know at the time. And so honestly, how we were going to approach clinics was quite unique. We saw glimpses of it from the class before us. So your graduating class that was getting kind of their last two months of clinics at Wisconsin. And then they unfortunately had you know, graduation wasn't the same for them. And so I said, okay, well, we're kind of fresh into this pandemic. How are we going to handle this? Our school did their very best with the tools that they had. I will say, you know, it was super nerve wracking going in there saying, you know, the biggest concern was how are we going to get hands-on experience? A lot of us already feel incompetent when we graduate or just less confident. You know, you can never feel a hundred percent. You just have to go out there and and just start doing it. We always hear the first year of post-grad is going to be the year that you learn the most in terms of hands-on clinics, right? And I'm sure you can attest to that as well. You know, the um, what you learn in school versus like what you do, you know, in the streets of practicing look a little different. And um, our school did the best that they could. And they heard our concerns, which was we're needing hands-on experience. Like, what are we going to do? And, um, a highlight that actually came out of it for myself at Wisconsin was, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you know, sometimes when you go into surgeries as a vet student, you don't really get a good view when you're on a traditional rotation. You're kind of on the walls, you're on the edge, and hopefully folks are talking you through. And maybe if you're lucky, you have a good view of the TV or the camera that yep. they're showing the procedure. And more often than not, that TV or camera does not have great resolution. And it's someone's always, it's always blocked by the surgeon's arm, always, or their head. Right. Always. Well, this actually turned out really well because we had to be at home and the surgeons had similar things like, you know, and this is not an endorsement, but like a GoPro camera of sorts. And we could see the footage that was relaying through the surgical ward on our computers. And then they're talking to us with the microphone, 
literally walking us through the procedure like we are on top of the patient looking at it. It was so helpful and so informative. Certainly it's not, you know, getting your hands in there and, you know, being the one Mm -hmm. actually surgical procedure, but it was pretty dang close. And it was good knowing the conditions that we were working in, right? Like it's COVID, it's a pandemic. So it was challenging, but I will tell you, Mariah, that one of the things that I saw, not just in my school, but in all of the vet schools that we have and that our students are represented in was the tenacity and persistence and the absolute commitment that vet students showed. And I'm not saying this, you know, to fluff any feathers by any means. The tenacity that our students showed every single time that this pandemic wave thought it was winding down and then it picks back up and it's another, you know, another roadblock has hit us in our curriculum. What are we going to do? Well, we have to push forward. We have to get our education and we made the most out of what we could out of this situation. I don't think a lot of folks can say that. And I think that just goes to show the resilience that our profession has, but that, you know, the student body jumped on board with to show that they can show up every single day, take control of their education and take the bull by the horns and say, I'm not going to let this take me down. I have to show up and I have to do it. And I've never been so proud of a profession. It was hard. You know, it was hard. If it was easy, I think everyone would do it. Vet school's hard enough without a pandemic. And then you just add it to your curriculum. <laughs> it just, it shows you how strong you are, even though it was a big pain in the butt during the time. And it was very stressful, very, very stressful. And I think it still is for students, not really knowing how to navigate those waters. But I think we're doing a lot better than what we did out of the gate of a pandemic. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VEDEX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VEDEX community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetxinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. Absolutely. I think that those first couple months, like even watching, because I was graduated and all I had was seeing what was happening on social media. And there was a lot of panic. There was a lot of fear, their trepidation about what was their final year going to look like? Were they going to get enough hands-on experience? Were they going to be skilled enough as veterinarians? And one thing that I think is always important for vet students to remember is that your time in vet school is not going to graduate you as a a skilled veterinarian. You're not going to walk out the door and have 10 years worth of experience. Like this is not, it's an unrealistic expectation to have. But -hmm. what you will have are the skills and the knowledge necessary to survive 
And that is what vet school does. It teaches you how to survive. And everything that you do from that point on is what turns you into a veterinarian. And the other little bit to remember is that it's providing the basis for you to learn how you learn best to figure Mm -hmm. out where you can find information so that when you do see that first diabetic kitty, when you see that first down cow in real life, you maybe haven't dealt with it in vet school. Maybe you have some theory, but you at least know like what is your next step to figure out how to manage the situation. And from there is where you build your confidence. From there is from where you build your skills that will set you apart and set you on a good trajectory for the rest of your career. And I think even with the pandemic, yes, you guys have not had as much hands-on experience. Yes, your learning has been different. It's definitely been diminished just because of how people take information in. You have all of those in-person learners who have now been forced to learn out of person, and that does have some negative impact. But in general, the basis of learning is still there, and you can still be very successful and very confident as a veterinarian. And of course, the other little bit of that is finding good mentorship when you graduate, but that's for another podcast. But (laughs) Amen to that. Oh, gosh. I just... It's so insightful to hear from people who were in vet school during that time when things were very challenging and seeing how you guys utilize that resiliency that you're talking about, that tenacity that you're talking about to transition you into your current state in your career. And so I don't know, obviously you can't speak for everybody else in your class, but in general, When people graduated, what was the mindset there? Really scared to go out into practice? Were they carrying that tenacity with them? Like what was going on in their heads? I think that was a healthy mix of all of the above. You know, you're nervous. You're extra nervous because you just, you're in a pandemic. Is The question that I think crosses a lot of folks' minds is, am I enough? did I learn enough? And now you're the one being looked at as the professional. You get to make the calls on, you know, on these cases. And that's super scary. And certainly imposter syndrome creeps in, you know, at the best and the worst times. I think a lot of people were relieved to be done with clinics and to be done with school. We were one of the few schools, at least at Wisconsin, that had a modified in-person graduation, which brought a lot of light to the darkness that COVID brought during clinics. And that was something that we were really excited and looking forward to and kind of was that capstone of just saying, you know, you can breathe a sigh of relief, but that doesn't mean it wasn't hard. You know, it it was a a mixed bag of emotions. And I think every day we, or maybe even every hour, you're excited, you're nervous, you're afraid. And I don't think there's a a right or wrong way to feel about it as long as you can approach it from a a mentality of saying, I'm going to try my best. I'm going to take it day by day, one foot in front of the other. That's all anyone asks for. And like you said, if you know how to find things, you know who to call. And sorry, my little cat just wants to be a part of this. (laughs) Your kitty can be part of the podcast too. (laughs) Yeah. Bill loves to see himself on camera. I was giving our commencement speech he crashed that and it was live. He just, he loves to see himself. (laughs) So um, don't be surprised if he jumps in and maybe wants to hear himself. But yeah, it's a mixed bag of emotions and there's not a right or wrong way to feel about it. But like you said, mentorship is critical. We're coming out of a pandemic. Every class is. And if you can find your people that can lift you up and you focus on as much as you can on what you've accomplished so far 
And don't feel like you said, have to have 10 years of experience when you hit the ground running out of graduation. That's just unrealistic. Giving ourselves grace is so, so important. We're not going to be perfect. And that's hard, I think, in our profession to shift our mindset and give ourselves you know, a little bit of self-forgiveness. It's tough. I work on it every day too. And, you know, you just got to work together to be able to, to move those feet one in front of the other, because we are better together. We don't have to do this alone. And it's those skills of bonding and skills of like working togetherness. It's for lack of a better word that you did in vet school that honestly will set you forward as you go through graduation and start in your first career. So for you, you obviously didn't land into clinical practice, But you did a lot of work, like you worked in other countries in your externships so that you could have like real world application of what policy looks like and what the job that you have now, like what it actually means to be the boots on the ground. So, oh gosh, this is an area where honestly, I don't even know what kind of questions to ask because I know so little about it. And we are going to jump into a lot more of this in the bonus content, but I want to give people a, a brief idea. So Right now, if you were to describe what a veterinarian does in policy to, say, like a group of first-year vet students in a condensed form, like how would you do that? It's very similar to what we do in practice. So what I mean by that is that you're considered the scientific expert. There's a policy depending on whose office it's coming from, if it's from the Hill or if it's a regulatory piece of policy that's coming out, you're considered as a veterinarian depending on, you know, are you working in the legislative branch, the executive branch? You have an opportunity to provide your knowledge and your wisdom, to provide sound science, to influence the right track that a policy should go down. And you're looked at as the expert, you know, are there any gaps that need to be filled? And let me tell you, veterinarians don't just work on animal health topics in Washington, D.C. or in your state government. They work on health policy, appropriations, which is a really fancy term for budgets, federal budgets and whatnot. They work on all sorts of areas, especially ag policy. That's a huge aspect. Food safety is you know, one of my portfolios as well. And so as a veterinary student, if you're interested in working in policy development and helping to influence the trajectory of where science plays an important role in our government, there's no better opportunity than to take maybe a summer externship or an internship working for a member of Congress or working in one of the regulatory agencies, you know, USDA, the FDA, even the Department of State. We have a lot of veterinarians working in the State Department on um, food security and bioagriterrorism, all those sorts of avenues, which is just mind-blowing. I absolutely love it. So if you're interested, just dip your toe and you just never know where things go and they lead you to. Networking is key when you're in vet school or just any avenue of life, right? You and I both know how critical networking is. Just mm-hmm. one coffee or one bite to eat with with an individual just for 30 minutes, you don't know who they might know. And that person might know somebody else. And next thing you know, you're working for that individual. It is a small world, but everybody knows someone that can get you connected with an opportunity that 
you are pursuing or you might not know that you want to pursue. They say a cup of coffee could change your life and that's a legit thing. <laughs> so this. And like I said, this is such an area that I was aware of when I started vet school, but I had no idea what it meant for a veterinarian to work in government. I was like, okay, what, what, like, what are you doing? Like lobbying? Is that about it? But the more that I talk with you, um, even outside the podcast, the more I'm like, dang, this is a lot deeper than I ever thought it could be. And right now, I feel like vet students just don't get a good idea of what kind of opportunities are out there for first-year vet students. They obviously, like, I remember as a first-year vet student, I thought I was going to be one type of veterinarian, and here I am being a different type of veterinarian. And keeping those doors open is very important. But a lot of it comes down to the responsibility that we have as active veterinarians to get into the schools and say, hey, here's the type of opportunities that are available to you guys and helping to open those doors so that they can try these things out. So what are some of the the ways that you know like veterinarians and government have been making those opportunities known or do you feel like it's not done well enough? You know, I think we could do better. Obviously, we can do better because not everyone knows it's an opportunity within the vet profession to come and work in the government, whether it's the state or federal level. You know, I am noticing that there are steps being taken. You know, AVMA Government Relations Division has a great vet student externship. I just launched one with the National Pork Producers, which is where I used to work, to create a really robust externship program for students to come and experience what Washington, D.C. is all about. You get a taste of lobbying. You get a taste of how to draft regulatory processes, how to make the ask when you're meeting with a congressional rep or maybe a senior official in a regulatory agency, or even knowing, gosh, Mariah, how to analyze policy. Most people learn that in their poli-sci degree. We don't really get a dose of that in vet school. And so when you start in a job, how do you even begin to work in policy and analyze it? What are the things that you ask yourself? And quite frankly, I'll tell you, it's very similar to putting together a soap. You know, what's the question being asked? What's the problem trying to be solved? What are the problems on the table? What are the next steps? What are some of the diagnostics and questions that we need to ask ourselves in order to achieve the outcome that they're looking to solve with the particular piece of legislation that's in front of you? And so even learning how to give a briefing to a senior official is very similar to doing rounds. Who's a patient in front of you? you know, giving the rundown in a quick, maybe two, three minute summary of what's in front of you, what the patient is dealing with, and what are the next steps. It's very similar to giving a briefing in Washington, D.C. or to your boss, again, at state or federal level. What's the problem at hand? What's your advice? What are the next steps? You're looked at as a very high-level senior expert as a veterinarian that has a wealth of knowledge. And sometimes that can be super intimidating, but it's just getting your feet wet. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to grow in the vet profession to get students out here and better understand. I myself am trying to work on that through social media as well to say, you know, come along with me. Here's a day in my life. So I'm trying to work on that too, because I think we need to meet each other where we're at. And I, right now the space is social media so that students know and are exposed to it. Otherwise you don't know, you don't really know what it's like. And um, sometimes it's challenging. Not a lot of students can afford to get up and spend a few weeks in Washington, DC. It's not 
by no means is it an affordable town to live in, but you know, anyone always has a couch to surf on over at our place. So if anyone's interested, you're more than welcome to come and not have to pay the hotel fees. But just getting a taste and a flavor of what it's like in Washington, D.C., and we're making baby steps, but I think we could do a lot better. Mm -hmm. And I'm utilizing social media as an avenue that we can really exercise. So there's definitely a room for growth there. And, and thankfully, there's a ton of room for growth. So there's a lot that could happen in that space here in the next couple of years. And so you mentioned a couple of things. So looking out, if you're here in the US doing things like um, SAVMA or the AVMA to look for opportunities, or honestly, just reach out, network, talk to people, talk to Marie. So I know we're kind of wrapping up time here for this part of the episode, which this has opened my eyes to a whole new side of veterinary medicine. Like, Every single day, like you think when you graduate, that the world just gets opened up within the space of your practice. And then you meet someone, you're like, holy crap, there's a ton of stuff that I could do over here. And then you meet someone else and you're like, whoa, like the veterinary profession. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. It's amazing. No matter, it is so small. It is a very small world full of very, like a very few number of people. And yet the opportunities are, they truly are endless. And just like in the VLC keynote, the future really is bright. And it sounds corny, but it is so true that there's so much that can be done with this profession. So Marie, thank you so, so much for coming on the show today and sharing your little snippet of your experience of honestly graduating in a pandemic and starting out in a job that was something you set out to do from day one, which is so incredibly awesome. But I want to give students the opportunity to find out where they can connect with you because I feel that there is going to be a number of students Students that have some questions. So where can people connect with you? You can certainly find me on Facebook, on Instagram, just search Marie Bucko. You know, right now the handle is at doc underscore Bucko. I might change that. You've inspired me a lot. Mariah, you provide such an, a great platform for people to talk about the different aspects of vet med and, and what it's like in school. So Search me for Marie Bucko. You can't miss it. I don't think there's another Marie Bucko out there, but if you do, let me know. We might, you know, have a doppelganger or something, but you can find me on, on LinkedIn too. That's a huge area of opportunity for you to network as students. If you don't have one created, highly recommend doing that as well. Again, same name under there, Marie Bucko. And uh, I just thanks Mariah for providing a platform for folks to talk about and have these conversations because it's so, so critical. Oh, thank you. And oh, gosh, thank you again, sir, just so much for coming on the show today. All of Marie's information will be found in the show notes. So do go over and say hi. She is such a sweet and awesome human being. I don't know how many times I've said awesome in this episode, but you are seriously just one of the nicest human beings ever. So go and say hi to her. But otherwise, if you guys have other questions, feel free to reach out to me or through VetX International through the Thrive Community platform there. But until next time, y'all, see ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Bet Life.